Well, we are in our Advent Christmas series. Advent is this period in the church calendar where we set aside time to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. We're working ourselves up to Christmas Day when we celebrate this marvelous inbreaking of God into the world. And we do that because we are, in a way, waiting for Jesus' second coming. He has come, but he has promised to come again. And so because waiting for that event is hard, right now we practice by waiting for Christmas. One of the things we saw last week is that as we wait, one of the things that can happen in our lives is doubt. So we once knew certain things to be true. We once held them fast in our minds. But as time goes on, those things that we were once certain about begin to grow a little bit hazy. And so when things get hard then, either in our own life or because society has begun to change directions, we begin to cave. We begin to abandon the truth we once held because it's just easier for me to go that way. And so what we saw last week is we need to have certainty about Jesus. We need to know that Jesus came in real history to a real place born of real parents. And he came to fulfill all of his promises. And so no matter how hard life seems to get for us, we know that we can continue to trust him. Now this week, one of the things I want us to consider is that as we wait, not only can we doubt the certainty of Jesus, but we can also lose sight of the purpose for which Jesus came. One of my favorite things about Christmas is Christmas music. Now there are crazy people out there who begin listening to Christmas music months ago. We have someone on staff who listens to Christmas music in July. God help that person. Um, I'm one of those normal people who do it right, right? When as soon as we set up our Christmas tree, we gradually introduce Christmas music. But I love Christmas music because no matter how often I hear familiar words, they never cease to cause me to wonder. So I hear songs like this, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. I can hear that year after year and still marvel at that truth. One of the things, though, that I've begun to find interesting this year is secular Christmas music. I've never really thought about it until this year, but secular Christmas music still has many of those similar components. There's still that expectation of joy, of happiness, of celebration, right? At Christmas time, things will be different, but then they don't tell us why. There's really no explanation why at Christmas time I should feel any different than any other time of the year. So Michael Buble wants to tell us, have a holly jolly Christmas. And in case you didn't hear, oh by golly, have a merry Christmas this year. Why? 
Like the closest reason he gives us is by golly, just do it. Just, just muster up this strength and this excitement in you somehow, some way, and then you'll have a Merry Christmas. Now look, I love me some Santa baby convertible to light blue, right? I'm, it's, the music is catchy and uh, Santa baby, I just, I, it's kind of, a, anyway, it's nice. But I know no matter what present I get under the tree, as much as I'd like to think a convertible would do it for me this year, I know that it actually doesn't satisfy the, the longings in my heart that society tells me I should have. But it's not just songs, right? I feel like, th- I feel this. I get caught up in all the, the Christmas parties, the good food. I'm looking forward to seeing family and watching my kids open presents. And, and that excites me. I, I look forward to that. But then I actually begin to forget what, what is it, though, that actually makes Christmas meaningful. Now, I get it. For some of us, Christmas is not filled with joy and celebration. It's actually a hard season for some of us. But if that's then the case, whether Christmas is full of joy or whether it brings actually sorrow, what is it that we can cling to that really is good news? So I want to say three things, three reasons Jesus came into this world. To bring glory, to bring peace, and to bring worship. So first, Jesus came, and it was the inbreaking of glory. Look at verses 8 and following again. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. So that's the region surrounding Bethlehem. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you know how we do uh, birth announcements, right? So my family did this for our three kids. First child, we, we splurged a little bit, went with the whole shutterfly Second child, we're like, okay, let's just let's do, go the Costco route. Third child, we're like, honestly, no one even cares anymore. We know we have children. We just completely skip it. Maybe, maybe, this, isn't a, this isn't a birth announcement, but it was another type of announcement. The, the wealthiest man in India, his, his daughter uh, was married a little while ago. I don't, I'm not sure if you, you saw this in, in the kind of the news. Uh, he sends not, not a card, but a box, okay? 
that in this box, there's like pop-up books. I'm dead serious, plural, like multiple invites to this thing. There's, there's four little jewelry containers with four different necklaces. There's like pearls and sapphires and rubies, and I think they're emeralds. And this, this box costs $5,000 plus for a wedding invite, right? So people of power, people of money do things better than we do. Well, Jesus comes, and God's like, okay, how am I going to herald my son? I could go the card route. Maybe there's the box. That's, that's kind of cute, too. You know what? Let's go with angel. So, so, so verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So to shepherds out in the field in the darkness come angels from heaven who bring light. But it's actually not the angels that make this event so special. See, angels have already appeared twice before this. There's two other kind of announcements, and angels are also present there. So in Luke 1, verse 11, we read this. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Sound familiar? But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Or to Mary, verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So so what's special about this event here then, in our passage, is is not the angels. There's something unique here. Verse 9 puts it this way, And an angel of the Lord, just like happened before, appeared to them, but then this happens, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. The glory of the Lord had never appeared before this when the angels came. So so why now? Well, well, we get a, a hint of this in verse 10. Verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then in verse 15, we read this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So so did you catch that? The glory of the one shining, the glory of the one making this proclamation is the very one who is also in the manger. But what's special about Christmas is not the birth announcement. What's special about Christmas is that the child is God. But it actually still gets more amazing than that. See, in the Old Testament, we actually hear of encounters where God chooses to reveal his glory to Israel. So in the Exodus, when Israel is marching through the Red Sea, God manifests his glory and saves Israel by appearing as a pillar of 
fire. The fire is shining forth the glory of God. In uh, the wilderness, Moses goes up to speak to God. And Moses comes down from the mountain and his face is shining. In, uh, in Israel, when they are building the temple, God comes down, he says, like a fire, and his glory fills the temple and he dwells with his people. See, what's really special about Christmas is that in the manger is the one to whom all these events point to. In the manger is now the one who saves us like he saved Israel. In the manger is the one who speaks to us like he spoke to Moses. In the manger is the one who God has come to dwell with us like he dwelt with Israel. And that reality is so incredible that it's not enough for just one angel to show up in the sky. So verse 13, we read this. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Just think about that. Of the infinite ways God could have chosen to reveal his glory, he chose to reveal it by humbling himself. Like God said, this is how I'm going to show you how amazing I am, by going as low as I can go. The Almighty God taking on human flesh, born in a manger, to save us, to speak to us, and to dwell with us. Glory to God in the highest. So at Christmas, we see the glory of God he brings glory, but he also brings peace. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. No kidding. <laughs> and the angel said to them, fear not. That's the most common negative command in all of the New Testament. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. If Jesus is going to be good news for all people, then he would have to be good news for the shepherds. You see, shepherds were a necessary part of society, but you didn't really like that you have to use shepherds. So shepherds were normally men of ill repute, they were looked down upon, they were scummy, normally they were thieves, they were uh, morally corrupt. And yet, to these angels, or to these shepherds, the angels decide to appear. So, so the angel appears in the sky, they're just there like counting all their stuff that they've stolen from town. The angel appears, and they're like kicking, trying to hide up their stuff, and he says what? Fear not. That, that's the last thing you're expecting to hear from an angel if, if you're a shepherd. But, but fear not, I bring you good news, not bad news, not punishment. There's a Savior, and that Savior, verse 14 will say, has come to bring peace to the earth. 
I find it interesting where God decides to make this announcement. He makes this announcement outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a town that had basically been at war throughout its entire existence. Peace in Bethlehem? Peace in that city that had been burned and raised and burned and raised over and over and over again? He doesn't just make this announcement uh, in Bethlehem. He also makes this announcement from angels who are actually part of an army. That, that's the word meaning of that word host. So, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army, is probably how we should better translate it, praising God and saying, so what, what type of peace is this then? Well, in that time, Caesar Augustus had actually brought about a period of peace in the Roman Empire. Famously, this period was called the, the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. But the way he brought about that peace was basically by having a bigger sword than you do. So, so you step out of line, you disrupt the peace, well, I step in and I kill you to maintain the peace. Is, is, is that the type of peace Jesus has come to bring? Well, I, I don't think so. See, that if you're going to rightly understand the type of peace Jesus brings, you have to hold the angel's message together. The angel's message is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You, you don't get peace without God also receiving glory. And we've already read, haven't we, of how Jesus is going to display the glory of God. He displays the glory of God by humbling himself, by being born in a feeding trough. The Lord of angels descended to earth and born in a stinky, stank stable. That, but that's the way God has chosen to reveal his glory. He comes to take the place of sinful humanity like the shepherds, like me. In John 13, Jesus says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. He's talking about himself. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. In case you didn't hear, this is how God's going to get glory. And then he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Yet a little while because Jesus said that the night before his death. See, the peace Jesus brings is not a you step out of line and I kill you. It's a you step out of line and I die for you. In our sin, we are told we rebel against our God. We, we deny the one who, who gave us his commands and, and showed us how to live. We reject him and we rebel against him. And because of that, we're at enmity with God. We, we experience this just condemnation of God. We deserve to be punished for our wrongdoing. We deserve to be separated from the God who created us and intended for us to have a relationship with him. And we feel the conviction of that. 
We, we know deep down, yes, we are wrongdoers who deserve punishment. And so, so we hate God. But then God comes and the angels announce not fear, but hey, good news. Good news because Jesus has come to save. He comes to take our place. He goes to the cross. He endures the shame and the humility and the punishment that we should deserve. Why? So that we might be reconciled to him, so that our sins might be forgiven. So even though we were once rebels in God's eyes, now we actually are sons and daughters. And so we have peace once again with God. You see, God, yes, he absolutely came to restore peace between the created world and humanity. He came to bring peace between humans, but first and foremost, he came to restore peace between himself and us. Last Sunday, in the New York Times, there was a one-page article that was posted. There was a big color spread, and that picture was of a woman named Miss Schumacher. Now, Miss Schumacher is a medium. She claims to be able to speak on behalf of dead people. She, she gives messages from dead people to living people so that living people, she says, would be able to experience peace in their life. What makes Miss Schumacher interesting, and this is probably the only reason she gets an article in the New York Times, is she claims to be a medium for Yeshua. She's, that's, in case you missed it, that's the Old Testament name for Jesus. That's the Hebrew name for Jesus. She claims to give messages from the dead Jesus so that we might experience peace. So she says this. Let me, let me, let me quote you the New York Times article. One day, she said, she returned home from a hike and felt a blue flame swirled down her spine, because you know what blue feels like. She heard glass shatter and a baby cry. She said this is when she first felt Yeshua's energy. Okay, in case that sounds fishy, let me keep going. In one session, she says Yeshua spoke to her for the first time. Those who witnessed it, since then, say that Miss Schumacher's voice and body changed. In case you're wondering, Yeshua's voice is deeper, more measured, and, as per the New Testament, has a slight British accent. If it didn't sound fishy before then, of course, Jesus sounds British, as one would expect one who grew up in Bethlehem, to sound like a Brit. But okay, here's, here's actually, I have two issues. I actually have a lot of issues with this. But let me give you two issues. One, she claims to speak on behalf of dead people, but Jesus isn't dead. If, if Jesus is dead, then we don't get peace. No matter what he says to us, 
Because if Jesus is still in the grave, that means he's still paying for our sin. We are not forgiven, and then we still experience death and the wrath of God. So you can't claim to give me peace and tell me that Jesus is in the grave. Doesn't work like that. But this is my other issue. She charges, you want peace? Well, this is how much you have to pay. You pay $1,111 per hour. You want peace from Jesus? Well, that's apparently the cost. That's what it costs you. But the peace that Jesus brings, the angels say, is free. Come, Jesus will say, and drink the water of life without payment. This is not a message for the wealthy. Look, look, look what the angels say. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is ple pleased. So, so he offers this peace to everyone. It's, it's good news to everyone if you want it. But the way you ex specifically receive this peace is if God is pleased with you. That word for pleased is used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Luke chapter 10. Let me read that verse to you. Luke 10, 21 says this. In that same hour, he rejoiced, that's Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for so it pleased you. So, so who is it that receives peace? It's not the wise. It's not the wealthy. It's not the understanding, rich type. No, it's those who are like little children. It's the shepherds. It's those who humble themselves and accept that a Savior, who is the Messiah, who is God himself could be born in a manger. If, you, if you're willing to accept that for yourself and stop putting your hope in your own work, in your own efforts, in your own good deeds, if you can accept that God had to come for you and you just humble yourself, then you can experience peace, he says. That's to whom God gives his peace. God glorifies himself by humbling himself so that we might experience peace if we are also willing to humble ourselves. So lastly, how do the angels, or how do we respond, rather? Thirdly, we respond in worship. Verses 16, 15 and following to this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. Yes, an angel appears to you as a birth announcement. You're going to show up. And they went, verse 16, with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And then there's this gap. Like, like what, what, what happens in the stable? What what, what was it like? T tell me about it there. What, what did you really see? What did you experience? What, what happened there when you met God? Veiled in human flesh. What, 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 what was it like? And we don't know. Luke instead, he wants to focus on the response. So verse 17 then says, 
And listen to this. They, they respond with words. It's, it's a word response. It's something verbal. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So, so how do you respond when you all of a sudden experience this overwhelming peace in your life? You respond by sharing it with others. You tell others. This, this is supposed to be news that is spread. Now, I realize that is absolutely terrifying for some of us to go out and actually tell someone about Jesus. I get it, right? We're scared. What if I fumble up my words? What if someone asks me a question and, and I don't know the answer? Or what if, I, what if I don't know what to say in the moment? Yeah. But remember who the first messengers were. They're shepherds. Shepherds aren't exactly out in the field studying, studying Torah day and night. They're not like having these deep philosophical conversations with their sheep. They're just there. These aren't, these aren't words, people. These aren't, this isn't a talkative bunch. And yet, it's the shepherds who decide to share the good news. No, notice, no one had to tell the shepherds, go and tell someone else. There's no one, no one commanding them. It's just all of a sudden they're, they're filled. It's like this joy is overflowing in them and just can't contain it. So it just has to spill out into words and you just tell someone else about it. This is why it's worship. We're just in awe at what Jesus has done for us. And so in the response, we just we want to praise God by telling someone else about him. We respond but by telling someone about Jesus, and they also respond by praising Jesus. So verse 20 just says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Apparently, they didn't want the, the angels to have all the fun. And so they joined in with worship of their own. They sang a song. It's why I love Christmas. Because, yes, there is joy and excitement, but it's because there's a reason for it. It's because God has shown us his glory and he's come to give us peace. Let's pray, and then we're going to respond by joining the angels and the shepherds. Father, we, we thank you for not sparing your own son. Father, we thank you for coming to us, for going low, for humbling yourself, God, so that our sins might be forgiven, so that we might be reconciled to you. God, help us to respond like the shepherds. Help us to be filled with awe and wonder. Help us to share this good news, God. Move us into action, not because you command it, Lord, but because we're just blown away at your majesty. Help us to tell someone else and then help us to worship you.
It's in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. This is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver. And I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca.